Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. After all the buildup, after all the hype, after all the parents and trainers and hangers-on running their mouths and popping off, we finally got ourselves the game. And the truth is, almost nothing ever lives up to the hype. And not to be that guy, but my feeling is that definitely did not, did not live up to the hype. Like, if you were tuning in wondering what it would be like when Tom Brady took on Bill Belichick, what it would look like when Brady first saw Belichick on the field, how they would be on the field after the game, if you were looking for all that drama, man, you were begging, because that was never going to happen. They were never going to give you that. We were never going to get that. That was never going to be that. There was never going to be this WWE moment from Brady and Belichick. I mean, what, did you think that Brady was going to try to shake the Hood's hand and the Hood man was going to hit him with that psych move? They were never going to give us what we wanted. They were never going to do any of that. They didn't want to. They said all along that what they wanted most of all was to make last night about Tampa Bay versus New England. Even if that was a total lie from Tom Brady, You know in Brady's mind, it was Brady v. Belichick. He wanted last night's win in the absolute worst way. He wanted to prove to the old man that the old man made a mistake. He wanted to beat him in his house and make Belichick feel that pain. He wanted an admission from Belichick that he made a mistake, even though he's probably never going to get that admission either. But publicly, Brady and Belichick... We're going to say last night was all about the Bucks and the Pats, and they were coming off losses, and it's a team game, blah, 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 and we all know it's garbage, a load of garbage. garbage. I mean, you can say whatever you want about last night being a game between Tampa Bay and New England, but you know what? We know what it was about. We all know what it was about. We all know what that came down to. We all know... It was about Belichick. You know it. We all know it. It was about Belichick. Steve Belichick. Because that dude absolutely dominated the night. He ripped that show. Everybody who tuned in thought they were going to see Tom Brady v. Bill Belichick. And instead, they got the Steve Belichick show. There's your real goat. There's the true GOAT. Man, who cares about some old quarterback coming to play against his old team when you've got that mulleted maniac on the sideline, mean-mugging all night long? Forget Brady v. Belichick. How about a mirror versus Steve Belichick? Because that was the ultimate show. The camera loves Steve Belichick. And Steve Belichick loves the camera. Forget about the last 20 years of Brady and Belichick. You give me 20 more years of Steve Belichick. Like, I don't know if this guy can coach even a lick, but I know he can lick his own face. Man, that's where it's at. That's where it's really at. They should have ran Steve Belichick full screen the entire game with occasional cutaways to the game itself because this dude transcends the game. And you know that whole thing about how no one's bigger than the game? Bullcrap. I'm calling bullcrap on that right now. Steve Belichick is way bigger than the game. 
bigger than the game, bigger than the sport, larger than life itself. I mean, just look at this bleeping dude. Am I right? Hell yes, I'm right. In other words, who do you think you are? I am. Damn it, right. Damn it, right. Steve Belichick ripped that gold medal last night. He ripped the gold, as far as I'm concerned. First time in the history of sports that the scoreboard did not matter. Am I right, Chouds? Do you feel me, Pats fans? I'm sure you feel a little better seeing how Mac Jones handled the big stage last night. But you have to feel unbelievable going forward, knowing that you're going to war with Steve Belichick. And his mullet on the daily. It's got to make you feel damn good. And not only Steve-O, but also Schwartzy. You check out that diehards act. I mean, freaking warrior. Ultimate patriot badass. I mean, so badass that it almost seemed fake. Like some sort of plant by NBC or a troll job. But when they went to that incredibly boring bit about how Patriot fans felt about the prodigal son returning and all their answers were oh so lame, oh Schwartzy, coming out of nowhere with a quote that immediately went viral. Quote, I'll cheer for him when he comes out. But after that, nah, I want some sacks. I want to see our freaking linebackers just pummel them and punish him. Schwartzy, Ashland Mass. Which leads me to believe Schwartzy has got to be looking to punish and pummel folks today because it was right freaking there for the Pats. Right freaking there. And they let it get away. They had a look. Oh, man, they had a look. In fact, they had a hell of a lot more than a look. They had a lead. And not just a lead, but a fourth quarter lead. Somehow they had a fourth quarter lead on the defending Super Bowl champs. And they were doing it with minus one rushing yards. And a rookie QB going up against the Goats or the Goat. And they were pulling out all the stops, man. They had trick plays for days. Like this. It's not going to be a runner, but could help himself. Look out. Look out, Myers. He's a high school quarterback. And then he's going to send it back to Bolden. And Bolden down the sideline is going to be a little short of the first down. They had that. They had this. To the ground. Oh, razzle-dazzle. Myers, the old high school quarterback, throws. It's Aguilar to the 10-yard line. Crowd going wild. The pass good for 21 is first and goal. Like I said, you checking that out on CBS Sports Network. Look at that gun. Look at that dime. I'm telling you, man. Pulling out all the stops. And as far as the quarterback goes, Mac Jones, he looked really good at times. Now, at the same time, he looked like he was going to give the game away at times. And I'm not here to crush the rookie. I mean, he's good. He was good, and he's only going to get better. I thought he acquitted himself really nicely. I really liked the way he handled himself. But don't get it twisted. The Patriots were not looking for any moral victories last night. They need actual victories because now they're sitting at one and three. Sure, the rookie was good. And especially when he wasn't looking to split defenders' numbers with a few bad passes. 
But the win was right there for the Pats. The defense showed up time and time again. Matthew Judon was a force of nature last night. The win was right there for them. And then on the final drive, they stall out. They've got to settle for a 56-yard field goal. Long shot in the rain from a kicker who's got a bad plant leg. Everything riding on this kick. Roll it. On its way. It is off the goalpost. No good. You can hear the doink. (laughs) Some doinks are better than others. That's Justin Tucker. You're right, Al. Some doinks are better than others, and that probably was the best one ever. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It is the single greatest sound in all of sports. And that was not just a good doink. That was a great doink. A legendary doink. Doink is a good word. It really is. And that thing echoed from Foxborough all the way back to Tampa. And, you know, Chad, you're not going to like this, but I'm going to be real because you appreciate real. I'm not going to lie. The truth is, although I went hard for Brady and the Bucks on my NFL Today on CBS hit earlier in the day, I really didn't have a horse in that race. I really did not have a dog in that fight. I didn't. I don't. Again, I mean, I've said this a million times, and I'll say it a million more. I just don't root for anybody in particular. I don't root for anything in particular other than something to talk about, honestly. It's the God-honest truth. So that being said, and I'm being real and I'm being truthful, man, I laughed out loud off that doink. I mean, seriously, I laughed out loud because to have that game end that way after all that hype, after that night, to me, I don't know, it was just hilarious. I'm just being truthful. Like, I don't care who won, wins. I did not care. I was going to give you my take like I always do, regardless of the outcome. But for some reason, watching that play out the way it did, after everything we heard all week long, that to me was hilarious. It just was. I mean, maybe I was a little bit off after my second straight commute to New York and back. And no, I don't keep a private jet. You not keep a private jet. I don't. I don't. I did that the way you would do that. I got on the commercial plane, and I did it. But that just made me laugh. (laughs) It was so absurd and hilarious. Like, no way that just happened. And then how relieved do you think TB44 was? I mean, dude dodged an enormous scud because he was this close to losing. This close to losing to not only the hood man, but this close to having Steve Belichick get over on him. And if they did lose, a good chunk would have that been or would have been on Brady. Because he completed barely half his passes. And he did so for only six yards per pass. And sure, he was only sacked once. And he didn't turn the ball over. But he was not looking to be an average QB in his return to Foxborough. You know this dude wanted to light it up. You know this dude wanted to hang 50 on Belichick. And yet he couldn't even get to 20. So the only question when it was over was, how would Brady and Belichick interact after the game? Would there be an on-field greeting? And if so, what would it be like? How amorous would it get? And here it was. Well, well, there it is. Okay. Great call from Al Michaels. Exactly. Like all that anticipation. And quote, well, there it is. 
Well, okay. well, there it is. Okay. That pretty much summed up the blink and you missed it hug. To me, that kind of summed up the entire game as a whole, really. Well, there it is. Okay. And, of course, Belichick was going to grump it all up in the media room after the game. Just, uh, Tom Brady practiced for 20 years, but this is the first time you went ahead uh, against him in a game. What was the experience like going? Uh- we, we, look, we went against Tom Brady every day, every day in practice defensively. So it's not like we've never seen Tom Brady before. Was the experience of coaching against him in the game any different? Yeah, they're a good football team. He's a great quarterback. I mean, I think that's all it goes without saying. Yeah, but did you see my son? Did you see that mullet? He's a good-looking boy, isn't he? You see him? How come, how come it's all about Tom Brady? Why isn't anybody making it about Stevie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it looks like I, he looks like that because I never let him out of the cave. He's there in the cave, and he's doing what he's doing. He's breaking tape. Yeah, I mean, of course. And then you see Tom. He won. He won. And, like, literally every player there lined up from the Patriots to talk to him and give him love. But if you're at all surprised by Belichick's act, you shouldn't be. If you're entertained by that, you shouldn't be either. This is the way this guy's always been. People see it every week for more than 20 years, and yet, huh, they still somehow think that's kind of funny and cute and novel. It's not. It's boring. It's tedious. It's dumb. It's none, of the, it's none of it's true, by the way, and we know that. And yes, I know that Belichick went over to the locker room, the Bucks locker room after the game, and that he and Brady hung out for 20 or 25 minutes. That's what they were going to do. That's what they should do. They spent 20 years together. They had a hell of a lot of success. But there was no way that Bill Belichick was going to get emotional on the field or give Brady some long speech or have that moment where he hugged on Josh McDaniels or Josh McDaniels hugged on him for what felt like 20 minutes. There was no way that Belichick was going to plant one on his cheek. He was never going to let anybody see that. And as we know, the hood saves his very best makeouts for his own family. Like, I'm glad the game is over. I know that Brady and Belichick are glad the game is over. But I got to be honest, it left me wanting more. It left me wanting a lot more. But not from Tom Brady and not from Bill Belichick, but more from Steve Belichick. Because that dude not only won the day, he is winning all of life. That's the true GOAT. I mean, I don't know if that up until now Bill had something with the league where they weren't allowed to show his kid. But how you been holding out on us like that? Like the GOAT's been there all along? I'm not saying that's our first glimpse of the GOAT. I'm just saying, how do you not give me more of that? He ripped the night. First time in the history of sports, the scoreboard did not matter. Indulge me for a moment and let me talk to you about WinBet, the latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sportsbook and digital casino app. So whether you're playing money lines for NFL Week 4, totals for college football Week 5, or both, WinBet has you covered. Are you looking for other sports? WinBet has those too. It's all right there for you with your WinBet app. WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards. That means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts, discounted hotel stays, priority dining and entertainment, free merchandise, and more. It really is the very best loyalty program in the industry. So whether playing from your phone or your computer, you absolutely have got to sign up for WinBet 
ASAP. Bet with the best. Get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or somebody else you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. It is Tom Curran. Tom, what's going on? How are you? Jimmy, how you doing, my friend? I'm great. Thank you. Good. Great to have you, Tom. Thanks for making time for us. So it is the morning after it all went down. I got to start right there. How are you feeling this morning after watching that game last night, especially as it relates to this chapter of the Tom Brady and Bill Belichick story? What's it feel like to you this morning? I think last night was cathartic in a lot of ways. If you're a Patriots fan, you no longer probably regard Tom Brady as, as a Patriot. He's now a former Patriot. You spent an hour cheering against him. You wanted him to lose. You appreciated seeing him, but you wanted to see him hit the turf. So I think it was cathartic for Patriots fans. For Bill Belichick and Brady, I think it was um, kind of a landmark night in a couple of ways. They competed against each other, and I think that the tenor of the week after the comments that you know I collected from from his dad now it's Guerrero's comments Brady wanted to high road it and and I think Belichick was very 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 happy to meet him on that high road especially since if Tom wanted to be bitter he could have painted Bill into a corner look he gave up on me how's he doing but he didn't and I think that Belichick was was certainly appreciative of that and the fact that he went and sought an audience with Brady to me was probably in some ways assurance from Belichick that we're not we're not going to get ugly with this, right? Because it doesn't look so good for me. I got bigger issues on my hands than worrying about you starting to, you know, pee on me from a thousand miles away. <laughs> Tom Curran joining us. I think there's so many really interesting things in what you just said, and I'm going to unpack some of that. But let me ask you this: If Nick Folk's field goal squeaks through the upright instead of doinking off the post, how different do things feel right now? Boy, that's a great question. That that really is because is Bill as probably he probably is is he as ready to you know seek that audience with Tom and does he feel some kind of Bill in terms of vindication to to use a word that we we've had around a little bit does Bill feel some vindication? Um, that's a great question. I think that the Patriots should feel semi-comfortable despite a one and three record about where they are and bill should feel as if i've got this team after despite my eight and 12 records without brady here i've got them on the right path at least with the tools we have in, in the place but yeah if they won i think there could be more chest puffing from bill belichick on it but i, I don't think that i think they both would just want to get into their seasons now Talking to Tom Curran, like when you break this thing down, if you had to guess, Tom, you weren't there, but to that point that he did seek Tom Brady out, they spent 20 to 25 minutes. You spent a lot of time around Bill Belichick. If you had to guess, if you had to guess, and knowing him the way you do, what kind of emotions do you think that he was feeling last night throughout and then after the game when they spent that time together? I'm sure it was initially about the game and Brady saying well, what a great plan they had in place, and Belichick credited credited his son Steve Belichick with a good night of game planning. I'm sure Brady, who's known Steve Belichick since, you know, most of his life, was probably complimentary. And I'm sure at some point Belichick said, you know, I mean, this media stuff, this book that's coming out and all the coverage, I mean, vindication. I mean, you know how I feel about you, Tom. You know how important you were to me. I mean, it's just, you know, we did what we did. I mean, we don't have to rehash it. But, I mean, you understand how I feel. And Brady hearing that, 
Brady's a love guy. He's going to lay down his arms. He doesn't want this distraction in his brain of uh, he understands it was what it was. It did not exist. We all understand that. No matter how much they want to put the toothpaste back in the tube so no one looks at the and gawks at the car wreck it was, the wreckage is gone. They're on. You know, tow trucks have left. But it doesn't erase the fact that there was an accident. Something happened. They split up. Brady didn't feel appreciated. He pled the fifth with Jim Gray for a reason. You know, Belichick talked about aging contract situation beginning in 2013 for a reason. So we can't deny those things, but I think that they both want to high road the hell out of this. So when they're both on the steps in Canton or whatever event it'll be, Jimmy, they're both able to look at each other and hug each other and stand there with their rings and have a great day. Talking to Tom Curran, you know, to that point, Tom, maybe finish that thought. Like, so we can just finally put this to rest once and for all. What did Tom Brady want from the Pats at that time? And why were the Patriots unwilling to give it to him? Two years, guaranteed $50 million, the identical contract to Drew Brees. That's what he wanted in the summer of 2019. Had he signed that, had they given him that, he would have stayed. They didn't offer him that. And even at that point, even if they slid that in front of him reluctantly, Brady and his heart of hearts probably would have said, I wonder if this is the best thing to do. They don't really want me here. The Patriots, meanwhile, instead of not wanting him there, I guess, Jim, they didn't want to commit to him. They didn't want to be tethered to a guy who might have the bottom fallout on him. So their offer was for one year, kind of a high number, both a low 20, certainly not elite quarterback money, but they didn't want to guarantee it. So once Brady wasn't getting promised that we can, we can sink our roots and you can have your kids go to school and your, your wife can settle in, once that didn't happen, that's when Brady said, I'm going to look elsewhere. Enough. We've been do, do, doing this for three years. I'm not doing that anymore. When you want to find great rates, organize your finances, or just make smarter money decisions, Lending Tree is here for you. With the Lending Tree app, you can see all your bank accounts at a glance so you can better understand your spending and your saving and build a budget that works for you. Monitor your credit score, explore ways to improve your credit, get automatic alerts to protect your identity, and LendingTree can make sure you're getting your best deal on loans, insurance, credit cards, and more through their wide network of banks and lenders. LendingTree also gives you personalized tips and insight into how to save money and reach your financial dreams. For more than 20 years, LendingTree has helped millions of people simplify their finances with trusted education, expert advice, and comprehensive services. There are no subscriptions, no fees, no hassle, just easy, honest, straightforward support to make the most of your money and achieve greater financial health. Download the free LendingTree app right now and get started. See why thousands of people turn to LendingTree every day for smarter, easier finances. Terms and conditions may apply. NMLS number 1136. Tom Curran's joining us. Tom, what do you think? Like, easy to Monday morning quarterback this thing right now, but do you think there's any part of Belichick that second guesses himself on this, or is he fine with the decision that was made? No, I think he's absolutely fine with the decision he made. Once he looks at a, a litany of circumstances and makes a decision, he does not look back. His dad actually told me that at the 2001 Super Bowl. We were, uh, we were standing in a hotel lobby, the Patriots Hotel lobby, in New Orleans. And he said, look, my son is, is about the most decisive person you could ever meet. When he decides to do something, it's, it's what he's going to do. 
and that's how he was with Tom. Look, I did it. We did it. We had a tough year. We had we got ourselves right against the cap. We went out. We found a new team. We have a new quarterback. Tom's great. I love him. But I know what our team probably will look like in 2026. And I had no idea if Tom was here, we still wouldn't have started the rebuild. We are talking to Tom Curran. He's on the inside breaking it down for us. So, Tom, what about that new quarterback? What did you make of the way Mac Jones handled the big stage last night? And then maybe as a follow-up, if we have time, what do you make of the respect that older players already have for him? And how do you explain that? Because he just keeps meeting every challenge. I mean, we shouldn't. I know that Cam Newton is not what he was. And he's a bad fit for this kind of offense. But he's still a larger-than-life, massive human being with great skills and a great list of accomplishments. And Mac Jones spent the offseason staring down that challenge, beating it back and beating it down, and winning fairly handily the Patriots quarterback position because he had to do it every single day. So to me, Jim, what's most impressive is he doesn't have really bad days. He has bad plays. He has bad series, but they don't stick. And I just can't imagine the pressure that he has been under day in and day out as he assimilates to the NFL. That Tom Brady or Alex, Alex or uh, Aaron Rodgers or you know all those other guys, Pat Mahomes didn't have to deal with because they weren't the starter in their rookie year. They didn't have to beat out a veteran. I guess Russell Wilson, and he was only beating out Matt, what the hell is the kid's name, Flynn, it's the only guy you can really compare as having come in, beat back a veteran challenge, such as it was, and then go out and start. This kid is doing something really impressive. Yeah, I was really impressed with the way he handled himself. I mean, certainly there were some plays that put them in a bad spot, but he's a young quarterback, and to show up on mm-hmm. that stage the way he did, as composed as he was, I thought was really impressive. You mentioned, Tom, before you go, you mentioned Steve Belichick, who became an icon last night of sorts. It's clear the camera loves him. How would you describe his role with the Pats and the coaching staff? He is their de facto defensive coordinator since Bill doesn't name them. He is a kid who is extremely understated, smart in terms, but he doesn't want to impress anybody with his intelligence. He's not in the same, I don't think, same way that Bill, I think, when he was coming up, wanted to, and Bill Parcells, Parcells would accuse him of this, you know, seeing he was the smartest guy in the room. I think that Steve Belichick is very unassuming, and part of that is he grew up in his formative years were watching his dad get chewed up in Cleveland, and he watched what that did to his family. And I think that Steve doesn't want to get too close to that fire of fame because he understands how fleeting it is and how vicious it can be. So that to me is, is my, those are my impressions of him. All right, so finally, what about the Pats, the Pats overall? They're 1-3. and three. They're coming off a season where they did not make the postseason. What do you expect, or how do you expect them to show up the rest of the way this year? I think the last night's game was by far their best performance. They shouldn't be, with the money they spent and the coaching staff and institutional knowledge they have, getting gold stars for losing. But I've now applied two to their foreheads. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was, that was a good performance. And I thought that that's a stage that they shouldn't be in, but they are. They should continue to get better. But, you know, Jim, the sloppy mistakes, too many men on the field or penalties at inopportune times, um, 
those things can't continue to happen, and they have been happening for a team that we look at as being uh, extremely well coached and on its details, and they have not been on their details this year. I agree with so, you, Tom. That, that's yeah. something that struck me last night. Like I, I'm impressed that they stood in and they competed and they battled, but you never see a Bill Belichick team, a Bill Belichick coach team, make those kind of mistakes. I mean, that's got to kill him. Yeah, 100%. And I think that that's – it's funny because Steve Belichick – you know, get some credit from Bill today on the conference call, but they had 10 players on the field last week for Taysom Hill's final touchdown against New Orleans. They had a 12 men on the field situation last year. They had last, excuse me, last night, they had to burn two timeouts. This is a little bizarre over there on the sidelines and they got to fix that. He is a Patriots insider for NBC Sports Boston. I knew that after a game like that, I had to go to the guy, Tom Curran, good friend <laughs> of the program too. Tom, I appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Great job. All right, Tim. Have a great year. You're my dude, Tom Curran. Did you know a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? Is that insane? October is Fire Prevention Month, and we're teaming up with First Alert, the most trusted brand in fire safety, to help protect your entire family with safety that you can trust. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. So having enough First Alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the best things that you can do for your home and your family. You want to make sure you install alarms on every single level and in every bedroom of your home. And then once those alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. And remember, alarms do not last forever. They need to be replaced at least every 10 years. If you can't remember the last time you replaced yours, it is best to replace the unit completely. So for a replacement option, my very favorite is First Alert's 10-year sealed battery alarms. 10-year sealed battery alarms are convenient and they eliminate the need for battery replacements for an entire decade. You also want to make sure you take the time to discuss home safety with your family. Plan and practice an escape route. Remember to practice it at least twice a year. For more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at home with your family, visit firstalert.com slash month. Last time we checked in with the face of the Jags, that face was pale, drawn, exhausted, overwhelmed, bloodshot. Of course, I'm talking about Urban Meyer, unfortunately. The last thing I wanted to do coming off this weekend was talk about Herb yet again. Except Herb just keeps setting a new bar. A new bar. And on Saturday, he hit a new low with that actual bar. Remember the Jags who dropped to 0-4 last Thursday night in a game that Herb described as, quote, devastating and, quote, heartbreaking. That's devastating. Heartbreaking. For some reason. Like, have you ever heard an NFL coach talk about an early season, regular season game like that? In terms like that? That's devastating. Heartbreaking. Sounded like he shot his own dog. So then he gives the team the weekend off which I guess isn't all that unusual in the NFL coming off a TNF appearance. But what is unusual is for a head coach to use those same off days to run back to his old college stomping grounds. That's weird. Really weird. And then to go on a cringy bender that winds up being super viral on social media. That's how Herb apparently spent. Not even apparently, he did. He owned it this morning. That's how he spent his Saturday night. Back in Columbus, at his own restaurant, Urban Chop House. 
rocking an Ohio State pullover and getting loose with co-eds to the point where Herb was actually trending on Twitter. Now, when I say getting loose with co-eds, I'm not just talking about posing with some random women who aren't his wife. I'm talking about a super viral clip of a woman who's not Shelly grinding up on Herb at the bar. Two words. Uh-oh. I mean, from day one with Herb, right? And I've said this myself. From day one, the question, the biggest question was, how would this guy handle losing? He's never really lost before. And pretty much it was unanimous. Nobody thought that it would be well. But I'm not sure anybody thought that it would be this bad. Or even just this plain sad. I mean, is there anything more pathetic than running away from your problems by going back to your old college scene? The best time of your life. I mean, that goes for pretty much anybody and everybody. But for an NFL head coach to pull on an OSU pullover and pull the big man is back on campus routine, that is the very definition of cringe. I didn't see Trevor Lawrence back at Clemson rocking a Tigers varsity jacket, posing for drunken photos, and trending on social media. Of course not. I mean, at this point, I don't know that I could blame him if he did, but he didn't. Because as I mentioned in the aftermath of that loss on Thursday night, the 21-year-old quarterback is way more equipped for life in the NFL than his 50-something-year-old head coach. In fact, the last person I remember running away from his NFL problems to recapture his capture glory was none other than Johnny freaking football. If you remember, JFF pulled this exact same move six years ago, literally. Lost to the Bengals on Thursday night, got caught up being a sloppy mess back on campus on Saturday. I mean, that's not a good comparison. That is like the worst playbook you could ever follow. And yet, Herb, here we are, man. Here the bleep we we are. Here the we are. And if your reaction right now is, man, no way that was him. That video had to be old. Think again. Because Mrs. Herb was also on social media Saturday night, and she, quote, tweeted a photo of him with some fans at the same restaurant. And she pushed out, quote, Meanwhile, I am babysitting. Hashtag my choice. Hashtag Mimi rules. Hashtag buddy deserved a night out. Well, apparently Buddy got himself a night out, all right. Not long after that tweet, a video surfaced of a young blonde woman all up on Herb's lap. And a quick cross-reference confirms same embarrassing red OSU pullover, same sunglasses on top of his head, same outfit, same night. Yes, in fact, it was him. There were even more photos confirming Herb's big, sad outing by the end of the night. One of them, and this is something else, this is something. One of them was an Instagram selfie with a gal who captioned it, quote, Who is this? He keeps flirting with me. End quote. Incredible. Who is this? Dude. 
Irv gets older, but the co-eds stay the same age, I guess. Naturally, people started adding Shelly, letting her know that her husband's out here making a joke of himself and that she deserves better. Shelly started to like those tweets. Yeah, that's not good. Not good. And any doubt that anyone may have had about any of this was laid to rest earlier this morning when Herb got in front of the media and straight up copped to all of it. Yeah, yeah. I just apologize to the team and staff and uh, for being a distraction. It's stupid. Uh, and so I explained everything that happened and owned it and, you know, just stupid. Uh, should not have myself in that kind of position. Urban, did you fly back with the team or did you stay in? Um, no, I stayed to see the grandkids and we all went to dinner that night at the restaurant. And then there's a big group next to our restaurant and they wanted me to come over and take pictures, and I did. And, and they were trying to pull me out on the dance floor, screwing around, and I should have left. Pretty much. Pretty much, dude. Stupid's a pretty good way to describe it. So you got to wonder about Shelly, right? Pretty strong personality. If you were wondering, is Fam, a.k.a. Shelly, not happy either. What about your, how about your family? Did you also did you feel a need to apologize to your family? Yeah, yeah of course I did. Yeah, that's not me, and that's, uh, uh, oh, yeah, they are upset. Yeah, probably so. Uh, you know what? Believe it or not, if you're looking for me to pile on that, I'm not going to. That's their life. That's their business. You know, I'm, I'm not going to judge that. But I am here to question once again whether or not this dude is built for the NFL. Herb, you're a head coach in the National Football League. You're not some sad, single class of 99er frat boy trying to chase his youth you know when things go wrong you can't go running back to college get it together man if you need to find a sad pizza and a dark corner to deal with these losses man fine fine do just that but get a grip be smart about it oh and by the way pace yourself again it's october 4th You have 14 more weeks of this. 14 more weeks of this coming. It feels like you've already hit rock bottom three times already. You're never going to get a buy-in from grown-ass men pulling grown-ass checks acting like this. It kind of goes back to what Yonder Alonso was saying. That when these teams face the most pressure and they're on the biggest stage, they take their cue from their leader. Dude, you're not even on a big stage. Your team doesn't even matter, and you can't handle it. So do what you got to do to get through it. Just don't do that, because that's not inspiring or motivating or leading anybody anywhere. And worst of all, worst of all was that co-ed who you were allegedly flirting with. She said you were. I don't know, but she said so. Allegedly in your own stomping ground, and she didn't even know who the hell you were. Man, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, one, the kids don't know. Like, part of me wants to say, man, how is it possible that Herb could go back to Columbus? He was there not that long ago competing and winning national championships, and they don't even know who the hell he is. But I'm telling you, man, kids, they don't know. They don't know. Anyway, never mind coaching them up. My man, look in the bleeping mirror. Coach yourself up. 
pull it together, dude. Because while we all knew this could go really badly, nobody expected it to go that badly, that quickly. Nobody expected four weeks in, you'd have to get up in front of the media, take your medicine, and apologize to your team and your family. Four games in. This is why there were so many questions about whether or not this guy was built for the NFL and if he could handle it. Should not have myself in that kind of position. No. How do you not know that? How many millions of times have you told your players, do not have yourself in that position? Yet here we are. Here the bleep we are. Here we are. Like, like I knew that this was going to go badly, but even I didn't expect it to go that badly. That kind of presser four games in. That's wild, man. And, dude, going back to Columbus with the OSU pullover. Trying to pull me out on the dance floor, screwing around, and I should have left. Right. Let me drop some stats on you. Did you know two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35? Did you know that more than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness? Did you know that there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss? And did you know that Keeps offers both? Now you do. Keeps offers a simple, stress-free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered right to your front door every three months, and you do not even need to leave your home. Plus, low-cost treatments starting at only 10 bucks per month, and Keeps offers generic versions and discreet packaging and proven results. What more could you ask for? Well, how about this? Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of the competition. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to move right now. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, just go to keeps.com slash Rome and get your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Rome and get that first month free. keeps.com slash Rome. Yonder Alonzo, Yonder, good to have you back. How are you? Doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you. Thanks so much. So let me start here. The regular season did end yesterday. The postseason is about to get underway. How would you describe the difference in the pressure and the intensity of the postseason versus the regular season? And is there any way to prepare for it if you've never experienced it? Yeah, I mean, clearly it's two different seasons. I mean, I think during the regular season, you you it becomes more of a uh, – automatic go every single day where you know you're on cruise control and you know you're playing your season um you're obviously playing for something to get to the postseason but once you get to the postseason then you know everything just hits different you know the uh the crowd is different the umpires are different um the game is different in itself you know uh, i remember watching the commercials of every strike matters and every pitch matters well you know, for me, every minute matters in the postseason, and and obviously everything gets uh, scrutinized, and everything gets everything is just very very stressful. Whether you're watching video, you know, your packets, your your scouting report gets a little bigger. Uh, usually during the season, you'll spend you know 30, 40 minutes on, on a scouting report meeting, that will go to about an hour and a half meeting. Um, you know, uh, just everything gets really stressed out, um, and and I think the team that comes out and looks at it as, you know, we've been here before, uh, where it's a normal day, it's a normal game, trying to just make it as it's just another ball game. 
rather than, you know, this is the postseason and don't get sidetracked by that. It's the team that's going to usually have the best record in the postseason. That's interesting. Yonder Alonso joining us because I was going to ask you that and you just answered it in part. If everything is heightened and it just makes you more and more stressed out every single minute once the postseason starts, how do you manage that stress? I mean, can you dial in? Does it lock you in or does it just make you more uptight? How do you manage that stress? Well, I think it has to do with the player in itself, right? But a lot has to do with the leader on the team, right? So you're on the team, right? So um, a lot of people take into account, you know, who your manager is. And, and if your manager is a guy who's high-energy guy, if your manager is a guy who, who you can sense the stressfulness or the anxiety, well, at times you may have that. And, and when you have a manager or you have your, your leader um, that's calm, cool, and collective, a guy that's probably been there before, you know, the, the one guy that comes to mind is Yadier Molina. He's a guy that obviously has won before, has been in very stressful situations, and just understands and, and really knows the game and knows what was about to happen in the postseason. Well, you gravitate to a guy like that, and you can understand when a guy is comfortable in his own skin. Well, you, you tend to get a little bit more comfortable as well. I remember uh, we were playing a, a series in Houston uh, in the postseason, and Lindor showed up in the, in the clubhouse, and he was all smiles and, and, and all good, and well, guys tend to just relax a little bit more and play their game. So you hope that, that an older team is a, is a, or a team that has been to the postseason usually gravitates to that and really calms down. The younger team, the, the first-timers, the, 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 the guys that have never been to the postseason, they have to somehow find a way to relax, calm, cool, and collective, and have fun and enjoy yourself as much as possible. Yonder Alonso joining us, an analyst with MLB Network, a 10-year vet. Yeah, I love that notion of act like you've been there before. Yeah, but I haven't been there before. It's hard to act like you've been there before when you haven't. Let me get your thoughts <laughs> on the Red Sox and the Yankees. They're going to meet at Fenway tomorrow in the AL wildcard game. Yonder, the Yankees were a 500 team halfway through the season, but they've gone 51-29 and 29 in their last 80 games. How dangerous do they look to you right now? Well, it really is all about their bullpen. And I think for me, uh, our oldest Chapman, you know, he's thrown all through August and September. He's found his way back. I mean, 18 innings pitch. He's got an ERA of a 2-4. Loiza has been a stopper for them. He's been that glue guy, that 7-8 inning glue guy. And, you know, you have Wandy Peralta, who's a lefty specialist. But I think for me, Luis Severino is going to be that guy that they're really going to rely on heavily. And, you know, you talk about starting pitching is what wins it for you. Well, not necessarily. At times, starting pitching uh, can only take you to four or five innings in a postseason because it is a high-stressful environment, and it feels like every pitch you're at a high stress. So you're going to depend on these guys from the fifth inning on, and I, I think the Yankees have a great shot at competing and moving on just because of their pitching. Their pitching has been great. Their defense has been solid. Now, on the Boston side, you have a guy in Ivaldi going game one into this wild card, and it's going to be interesting because he has proven that he, he, he's been able to go do his thing on a regular basis. I mean, look, in the postseason, this guy's got a 2-1 with a 1 ERA, okay? So he knows what it takes to, to go out there and duel with a guy like Cole. And, and let's be honest, the American League, the two best pitchers in the American League were Nathan Abaldi and Garrett Cole. So it's going to be a madness. It's going to be crazy. Look for high-stress environments. Both managers are going to be putting their, their team in, in action movement type of plays. You're going to see a lot of hit and runs. You're going to see a lot of first to third action, a lot of second to home. They're going to be very aggressive. But for me, it comes down to the bullpen. And when you look at both teams, I think the Yankees have a better upside when it comes to that.
Yonder Alonso joining us, breaking it all down. All right, so you did a great job right there of breaking down the Yanks and the Red Sox. I'm curious, like, how do you compare both of their rosters overall with, say, the Rays, the White Sox, the Astros? In your mind, who is the favorite in the American League? Well, I really like the Yankees. And, yeah, and you can say, well, I mean, that's an easy bet. But, you know, you've got to give a lot of credit to the Rays. Obviously, 100 wins, first time in that in the organization that they've done that. But, again, they don't have the starting pitching. And, and sometimes a team like that can take you to the postseason. But you need to rely on some starting pitching. And they just clearly don't have that. And um, it's going to be interesting with the Rays. I think for the White Sox in itself, they haven't played anybody meaningful. I don't like their road record. It's under 500. Uh, they need to really rely on, on, on winning games at home. And you know what? During the postseason, anything can happen. Good teams are going to come in, and they're going to take care of business on the road as well. And we saw it this year when the Yankees went to, to, to the White Sox. They took two out of three in that series from them. So the White Sox, for me, just they have a really good team on paper. They've been a little banged up uh, as of late. We don't know what to expect from Lance Lynn with his back issues. Giolito has been a little iffy, although he's been a much better in the last two weeks of the season. I just like the Yankees. I think the Yankees, Stanton and Judge have been incredible for them. Now, they need a little bit of help now because, you know, it, it all can be Stanton and Judge. And, you know, you have to be able to score runs. But I just love what the bullpen uh, is bringing for the Yankees. Yonder Alonso joining us, an MLB Network analyst, joining us for a few more moments. The MLB Network, obviously, all over the postseason. I've got to ask you about San Francisco. Like, I'm not sure what your expectations were before the season started, but to see what these guys did, I mean, how amazing is it that the Dodgers just kept coming? They just kept chasing and playing amazing ball, especially since the Max Scherzer trade, yet they could not run down San Francisco. What's it say about the Giants that they stayed in front of the defending champs down the stretch and held them at bay? Look, I think their story has been incredible. Uh, when you look at a team that won over 105 games, uh, when you look at a team that, that pretty much had the same identical record from the home and the it just says so much about these guys. Um, you know, we, we look at Longoria and Brandon Bell and Crawford, who's had, he's going to get MVP numbers. Uh, their, their pitching staff has been phenomenal all year, which we thought all these one-year guys that they were going to bring in, there was a lot of 50-50 duels with these guys. Buster Posey has been just a, an incredible player. Obviously, he, he's going to have a statue when it's all said and done there. He's a Hall of Famer. But you know what? I, I think it comes down to, to the front office and the manager. They've done an excellent job with that team. And you know what? They've been pretty healthy for the most part. They know how to win tight ball games. I think the addition of Chris Bryan is really going to help them and solidify that offense and elongate that offense. But They've done a, a, an unbelievable job. Look, Brandon Belt getting hurt, I think that's going to be a, a little bit of a, of a hurting. Man, it's unbelievable. Everybody thought that the Dodgers were going to catch these guys, and you know what? They, they never did, and they played so good baseball. They know how to defend. They just know how to win at home. It's going to be a lot of fun in that National League. I like the Dodgers still, but you have to show some respect to the Giants because they've proven it all year around. They're, they're a tough team to beat. Man, I'm blown away by their grit. I'm blown away by everything they've done. I, I just, I can't believe. I mean, I can because I've watched them for years and years and years, but the way they're <laughs> constructed, man, it, it is something. Really quickly about the Dodgers. So you've got Max Scherzer, who's been lights out since coming over to L.A., going up against Adam Wainwright in the cards. What are your early thoughts on that great matchup? Well, listen, I, I think this matchup is going to be a little interesting, and the reason for that is because it's a 4 o'clock matchup, and that four o'clock matchup for me, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty when it comes to, to to the hitting side of it. There's a lot of variables that you got to put into it. 
There's a lot of shades that go into that 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 pitching matchup. I really like Wainwright. I really like Scherzer. It's going to be a battle. You know, I think uh, Max Muncie being out is going to be a huge loss for them. Look for Bellinger to be at first base uh, the rest of those, this playoff post postseason. Uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Look, it, it's going to come down once again to to the bullpen. Can Kenley Jensen shut out the most uh, important outs of the game? Uh, again, Matt Trainer, who, who's I think he's one of the best bullpen guys. He's with the Dodgers. He's going to be electric in the seventh or eighth inning. Dave Roberts just knows how to pull all the plugs. But again, when you have a guy like Wainwright and you have a guy like Yadier Molina, and you have a team that won 17 straight games, you have to show your respects to them. They've been there before. They understand what it takes. And look, wildcard teams usually are the ones that, that win a World Series. And St. Louis has been there before. They've been in the wildcard situation, and they won a World Series. So it wouldn't put it past me to see uh, St. Louis pull away with this. Yeah, me neither. And can you imagine, Yonder, finally, like, what if you're L.A. and you win 106 games and you have to win another to advance? I mean, how right. painful, man. What a kick in the ball, well, kick in the package it would be to come that far <laughs> and lose in a wild card game, man. How brutal would that be? Well, you know, that's just that's the game. And, yep. and that's what that is when you have the Giants and, and you, you have to give credit to them. That's that's what you that's what you were dealt. Those are the hands you were dealt. So. You have to understand, you got to take care of business. you got to play the right way. And you know what? In these games, you can't afford to play uh, patient. You have to be as aggressive as it gets. Look, in the first two innings, if you have a chance to pull away with some runs, if you have a chance that you need to take out your pitcher and you need to take out Max Scherzer because he's into some trouble in the third inning, you have to take him out. And there is no tomorrow. There is no next game. You have to win today. Everybody's on deck. Everybody's all hands. You have to win at no cost, and I, I, I wouldn't put it past them that you know they make some, some weird changes and weird decisions, but anything can happen in a wildcard game. Can't wait to see it. I want to reiterate, he played 10 years in the bigs. He was an all-star, a seventh pick overall, MLB Network analyst, and again, MLB Network is going to have two exclusive American League Division Series games later on in the week, and they will have live coverage before and after every single postseason game. Yonder, that was a tremendous breakdown. Man, I appreciate you, and thanks for the time. That was great. No problem. My pleasure. The Arizona freaking Cardinals deserve respect. Way more respect. And not just in the stacked NFC West, but amongst the best in the National Football League. Man, and do not tell me that you didn't think that despite 3-0, and being 3-0, and that they had a glass jaw. Don't tell me you didn't think that. Don't tell me you didn't think that they were going to get exactly what they had coming to them. Don't tell me you didn't think that they were going to get exposed by the Rams in the Rams' house on a national stage. Don't tell me you didn't think that. In fact, you just knew it. Shattered, iced, depanced against the best team in the NFL who just gave the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks them hands the week prior. So exactly what happened. The cards... Gave the Rams them hands, them feet, and essentially had them tapping after three quarters of football. I mean, for real. How y'all like them Arizona Cardinals right about now? And how do you like that generational quarterback they have right about now? You know, the same dude that I've been hyping as the most electric player in the NFL. One Kyler Cole Murray. That most electric player in the NFL is now the clear-cut 
MVP favorite through four games. I know, small sample size. I'm just saying, through four games, he is your clear MVP favorite. He's been that good, and so is his team. I'm telling you. I am not surprised, but I could not be more impressed with Kyler or the squad right now. And yesterday, after a competitive start, where it had to feel like it had the makings of a heavyweight title fight, it's like the Rams somehow quickly embraced their inner Pete McNeely, and they took a big dump in their pants. You have a big dump in your pants. What I mean by that, and I'm a huge Rams fan, two first-half turnovers by the Rams— a Matthew Stafford interception, a Sony Michelle fumble, and both turned into Arizona Cardinal TDs. These are not the Cardinals that you think they were. Extremely opportunistic. Cashed them both in. But even before that second card's TD, Kyler ended them for good. Really. I mean, let's be honest. His shimmy on third and 16, early in the second quarter, broke the Rams back and snatched their soul. Now third and 16, and the Rams going to bring the blitz. They do, and Murray's going to run and try and run away from trouble and does. Kyler Murray with a first down. Kyler's shimmy is like AI's crossover. Sick as hell and so great to watch. And that was on Kenny Young, who we had on the show on Friday. An amazing athlete, Kenny Young. And Murray just put him on skates. Third and 16, had the Rams stopped them, they could have kept it a one-possession game, but Arizona ends up pushing the lead to 11 points when James Conner finishes that drive with a TD moments later. Yes, it was only the second quarter. Yes, the Rams are explosive, but they were not going to get any closer. And it's because that supposed shotgun defense of the cards that everybody's been clowning balled the hell out. And Kyler's offense was unstoppable. Unstoppable. Cards 37, Rams 20. That was a bullying in plain daylight, plain sight, in L.A.'s $5 billion club. Kyler and his guys are lucky that they were not arrested because none of us have called the cops to turn them in. That's why. That was a straight mug job. The cards ran for 216 yards on the ground. They had 416 yards of total offense. They now put up more than 400 total yards and scored more than 30 in every single game this season. You see what I'm saying? Man, they're physical too. Without question, the other 10 guys on the offense deserve love, but nobody more so than Kyler. The running game, teams are so worried about his legs that they have to account for him at all times, and it opens things up for everybody else, especially his running backs. See, that's the biggest difference between him and every other quarterback in the National Football League. One, nobody has his legs, not named Lamar. And two, Lamar, as well as he can throw it, he can't throw it with Kyler's accuracy. And that is 100% not a knock on Lamar. Lamar's amazing. I'm just going to say, I don't think he's even quite as unique as Kyler. Kyler completed 75% of his passes against the Rams. And he's protecting the ball while still making big plays. Pro Football Focus graded him out with zero turnover plays yesterday. Zero turnover plays in the biggest game of the year against a really good defense. So this cat is playing the game in some pretty rarefied air right about now. And yes, the word gets thrown around a lot. In fact, way too much. But I'm talking about like unicornian air.
unicorn stuff. And how about we give Steve Keim some love? This dude made one of the ballsiest decisions ever in drafting Kyler, who some thought was a really risky gamble, and not only taking that gamble, but doing so one year after burning the 10th pick overall on a quarterback. So clearly, risked his job, risked his reputation by going with instinct and gut to draft Kyler Murray. Man, that was such a big swing. That was such a ballsy draft pick. Doesn't look like it now, but at the time, it absolutely was. And he was absolutely right in doing so. Dude could not get the image, I think, of this guy being like Russell Wilson, but maybe even more explosive. Certainly more explosive, but possibly maybe even a better version thereof. Maybe. Yeah, I know we were all about this being the right decision before yesterday, but yesterday only proves that Kime's instincts were right on how different Kyler is and that Kyler is getting better and better and better. As for the Rams, I'm not off that bandwagon. I still love that team. Matthew Stafford did look at times like he was still playing in Detroit yesterday. He missed some throws and all, but he has still looked brilliant In that offense and in that scheme, that offense is going to be just fine. Now, the defense, y'all may have a little bit of a problem. Brandon Staley is gone, and so is that top-rated defense because the past two weeks, they've given up over 900 yards. 900 yards. The Rams defense, 900 yards, right? Not the Texans, not the Jags, not even the Jets. Oh, by the way, New York, you're still welcome. Anybody else need me to come to your town and fix your team? You know where to find me. Except I'm not not doing it for free. But the Rams have allowed 900-plus yards in the last two weeks. Below not good does not give those numbers justice or do them justice. Rams fan, I'm not hating. I still think you are a legitimate Super Bowl contending team. But right now, after yesterday's curb stomping... Man, you got to flush that and move on as quickly as possible. You take your deuce. You don't, you don't sit there and look at it. You flush it and move on. We're going to flush it and move on. i got to be honest, too. That was a deuce. But part of that was Arizona. I'm telling you, we all saw that. Cards haters, cards doubters, cards skeptics. Where the hell are you now? Cliff haters, where are you now? People who didn't get Kyler, where are you now? God, they are great. I said the last few weeks, I've been hyping them up, hyping them up, hyping them up, saying that they are the most entertaining team in the NFC West. Not necessarily the best team in the NFC West, but the most entertaining team in the NFC West. How are you going to argue that? How are you going to argue that they're not the best team in the NFC West right now? And by the way, that's still not doing them justice. That's selling them short. Patrick Ricard is my guest. Patrick, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm great. It's good to have you back. Thanks so much. I want to ask you something. You beat the Broncos in their house 23-7. to So for everybody listening right now who will never, ever have that feeling, what's it like to go on the road against an unbeaten team in a really hostile environment and to win comfortably and quiet an entire stadium? Yeah, I mean, whenever you can win on the road, it's a hard thing to do in the NFL, especially against a team that's 3-0. You know, that's statistically their defense has 
had a storage start. I mean, it's a lot. It's a hard place to play in Denver. The altitude, man, I'll tell you, it's my first time playing there. It's real. Um, you know, the breathing, it, and I'm not the breathing, but just the air is so dry. So your mouth is just dry the whole time. It's just a different way to play the game. Um, but for us to go out there and for us to take care of business the way we did, I mean, it's it's a lot. It means a lot to this team. And for us, you know, we're going to take from this game and just keep keep it moving and, and keep rolling for us this season. Dude, I think that's so underrated. I don't know why that I don't spend more time on that doing this as long as I've had. That that whole thing about the altitude, like you just said, I've never been there before or played in there before. Like I I used to have a house in Montana and we'd be really high up. And I would just go into the gym and just do some cardio and I'd just be dying. Like even as a high-level athlete, what's it like to be at that level when you never have and to play a contact sport and to do it for four quarters? It's different. I mean, there's not much to there's not many two ways to train for it. So for us, I guess the best way to play in Denver is just get there as soon as you can, close to as the game. So we got we flew on Saturday and landed there that night, and then played within 24 hours. Um, you know the time difference is only two hour difference, so it's not that big of a deal. But I guess if they're longer than two days, the altitude really starts affecting your body because you've been in that altitude for over 48 hours, so I guess it wasn't too big of a deal because the way we, you know, we attacked it and we approached it. Um, but, yeah, you can definitely tell for sure, and, and it's definitely an advantage for that stadium and that team. Patrick Ricard joining us. I appreciate that. That's really interesting to me. So this is great highlight of Latavius Murray rushing for a TD early in the second quarter, and you're in front of him, and you're just bullying the man in front of you. What do you remember about that play, and then how good does it feel just to square a dude up and just keep driving him backwards? Yeah, I remember uh, I remember I seen the formation. I knew I had the safety. I had to go block him. And you know now the rule change is different. We're not allowed to cut in, in space around the perimeter, so I, I know I have to take him square and block him. Um, and it's always nice when I have to block a DB like that in space and I get a control of him because I'm a lot bigger, stronger. So as long as I get a hold of him, I can just drive my feet, it's over, man. Especially with Latavius. You know, he just played right off the block and, you know, made a great run and he scored. It was, it was awesome, man. And I'm, you know, definitely excited about the play, especially for our backs. Um, and, and something I think that we need to build on going forward. Patrick Ricard joining us. I love that response. You know, you and I touched on this a little bit in the offseason when we talked about your journey, but for those who missed that conversation, what's it take from a mindset standpoint to play fullback in the NFL and to constantly be laying your body on the line for your teammates the way you do? Yeah, it's definitely a selfless position. You know, you have to be physical. You have to put your body out there. Um, you know, and I, I embrace that joy. I like I like how physical the position is because I think that's how football should be. Um, and it's one of those things where I try to make sure I'm taking care of my body so that I can do that week after week and I'm also playing with great form so that I don't get injured while I'm doing it. Hmm. Lamar Jackson nicknamed you Pancake Pat a little while back. Like, when you pancake a dude, generally, do they own it? Or do guys try to come up with excuses like, yeah, man, I tripped, I slipped, that's what happened? Um, for the most part, dudes don't say anything. 
because they know what just happened. But uh, there's a couple instances where dudes will say they tripped or whatever it is, and they still doesn't matter. They still get pancakes. So, you know, I just I don't even respond to them. I just walk away whenever they try talking to me. Patrick Ricard joining us. Well, I'm glad you don't do that when I try talking to you, bro. Good. Good looking out. I'm glad you come on and you don't do that here. Listen, Lamar Jackson threw for 300 yards plus yesterday. Dude, this like this is comedy to me. He's on pace to pass for 4,500 yards and rush for nearly 1,200. Like, comedy. Those numbers like shouldn't even exist, yet he's on pace for that. It may be early, but he is on pace for that. He could do it. Like, it all seems pretty normal now to see... When you see that and you see it every single day, does it seem pretty normal to you or are you still constantly amazed by it? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I'm always amazed with him, man. He's just such a special player, so dynamic. The way he moves, the way he can make plays and just you know really put the offense and the team on his back week after week, just the way he plays, it's just amazing. But, I mean, I guess... I'm getting used to it because he does it every week. And I think now, you know, it's it's so early in the season, it's week four, but I think if he consistently can do this week after week, I mean, he has to be in the MVP category again. I mean, these numbers are just unheard of. Like Players don't do this. He's just breaking records left and right from the amazing things he does. And I mean, he's such a great player. I'm, such a, I'm so glad to be his teammate and to be a part of, you know, his – start of his career because you know this is the start of his career it's only year four for him so i'm just really excited to see what he does you know the weeks before and the rest of the years yeah i'm not big on being on pace guy but he is on pace for 4500 passing yards and 1200 rushing yards so yesterday you and the offense tied that league record for most consecutive games with at least 100 rushing yards what's the number represent to you how much pride do you have in that number a lot i'm a fullback so any rushing stat we get, man, I take a lot of pride in it. It's, it's, it, it, I mean, it's not me. It's not one person. It's everybody. It's, it's zero scheming the plays, you know, making the plays with the coaches, coaching everybody. It's the receivers out there blocking. It's the doing things, running backs, linemen. But I'll tell you, literally, we're getting in the huddle. For, and we're all like, oh, we're going to take a knee. You know, there's a couple of seconds left. We're going to win. All of a sudden, the Mar gets in there. We're like, no, we're, we're about to run the ball. We're like, what? No, I think it means. Like, no, we're running the ball. And we didn't know why we're running the ball. But after the fact, I was happy because I knew about that record and I really wanted to make sure that we, we had it. I mean, that's just an amazing record. That just shows how consistently good your run game is. And that's something we have a lot of pride in here. And so for us to get it, and I, you know, we're going to try to keep this, uh, this streak going you know, week after week. And, and I'm happy that we were able to get it down the game. That's a strong response. Look, I know why you want to maintain that streak. I know why you want to run the ball. The Broncos coaches and players did not seem to understand it. In fact, they seemed pretty bothered by that, thinking you guys should have taken a knee. What's your reaction to that and their reaction? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a debatable thing that happened. I probably would have been pissed because it's just like, hey, man, it's taking me. Like, game's over. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just kind of unnecessary. But at the same time, like, this is history, man. Like, we're kind of, like, if we can do it, we're going to get it. And I, and I know that's what Harv's mentality is. Like, you know, like, let's do it if we can do it. And who cares what people think? Because in the, the day, like, if we can get it, we can get it. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's how I kind of feel like what happened. 
I respect the response, actually. Like, you didn't say, hey, man, if you don't like it, stop it. You're saying it's debatable. I could see where they might be upset. Like, if you were on the other side of that, would you have taken offense or would you have been like, I understand why they wanted it. It was our job to stop them. If you were on the other side, what would you have thought? Yeah, I probably initially might have been kind of ticked off because it's kind of, you know, you can kind of see it on sports and like just because, you know, game's already over. It's just, it's just, it's kind of pointless. But then once you realize, like, oh, they have a 43 game streak of 100 yards and now it's all, they needed only three yards to get it. Like, okay, okay, okay. Maybe I won't be as mad after the fact, but I probably would have been ticked off a little bit. Patrick Ricard joining us. I do appreciate your thoughts on that. Let me ask you one last thing. I was talking to Adafe Owe on the show, Adafe Owe on the show last week, and we were talking about the fact that he felt like he was a Raven even before he was selected by the team, and the Ravens went after you hard as an undrafted free agent, knowing that you would fit that mold as well. So what makes this team special in that regard? Like, how are they different than other teams in that regard? Can you uh, repeat that again? I'm talking about like this, the Raven way, like the Raven mm-hmm. mentality. When I talked to Owe last week on the show, he said, like, I felt like a Raven even before I became a Raven. And I'm saying that the team saw something in you as a free agent. Like, was there any part of you that felt like you were a Raven before you were a Raven? And then what's it mean to be a Raven? Because I think it is a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, when you think of a Raven, I think it's, it's a physical player, relentless, plays all out every play, loves to play the game. Um, we'll do anything for the team. Um, it's it just, you know, it, it kind of goes above and beyond every play to do their job. And for me, I was a defensive lineman. I was physical. I ran to the ball like crazy. Um, I played all different positions on the defensive line. So I think that's what they saw in me. And they knew that when I got here, I would get everything I have and I would do anything for the team, and I did. I mean, I, I changed positions. I played multiple positions. I always play hard whenever I'm in there. I'm always trying to learn and expand myself to better the team, and I think that's what they look for. They don't want guys who come in here who don't like to be physical, who don't like to play hard, who don't love the game, who don't want to put the extra work in, you know, who don't want to put the team in front of themselves. And that's what they want, and that's who we have here, and that's who they try to scout, and I think that's why we always have such a great um, history of scouting and the players that we get, either we draft or we have, you know, the long history of undrafted guys making the team because that's where they're trying to look for, and those are the guys that will make it. Man, it's a great response. It's like I think that when the word culture comes up in these interviews, like the listener, uh, great, here we go again, culture, they tune it out, but, man, that's what it is, right? And it does matter. Right, and, you know, it's, it stems back to the guys that were been here, you know, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Terrell Suggs. Um, and when I got here, you know, Eric Weddle, I, I put him in that category. I mean, those guys kind of set the bars. So when you get here, there's a bar, and you have to meet that standard every day. And, and it still fell in this building. And uh, you definitely know you have, to, you have to reach that bar every day. Dude, T-Sizzle was a big, skilled human being. I'm really glad. I'm trying to let you go, but I'm really glad that you mentioned Eric Weddle in that group because I'm I'm always kind of conflicted. I love Eric Weddle. Eric, Eric Weddle is one of my favorite NFL players of all time, but I love that he gets slotted into the, like, the, the list of great Raven players because he wasn't there that long, but he obviously made a great impression while he was, at least on you, right? And every, on everybody. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, my man. Great talking to you. Patrick Ricard, two-time Pro Bowler and blocks for a rushing attack that topped over 100 yards for the 43rd consecutive game. Patrick, appreciate you. Good to have you back, man. Thank you. Yes, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.